Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 49. And on this episode, we have Sony Animation All-Star Brandon Jeffords, who actually is an animator and an artist there. He's come a long way, done some amazing things, some great stories, some dark times. I love hearing people's stories, including and especially even the dark times, seeing how they get through things, seeing how they get to where they are. This guy sits in rooms and meetings with Adam Sandler and all these people in these movies doing these voices and all these things. He puts all this together. It's an incredible uh, process, especially when you hear the story of where he's coming from. He's worked on all these amazing animated movies. Some of you may or may not have seen them. And this isn't about the animated movies. This is about the story. This is about the pursuit of a career and a passion and an art in this case. And whatever you're pursuing, you can relate as well, whether that be sports or uh, any other career. You want to be in law enforcement. You want to be an artist like him or a musician or other things. People have dreams. People have goals. People have career goals and dreams in general that they just want to pursue. And so this is what we're talking about this interview. He's worked on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 and Smurfs, The Lost Village, all these great movies, Hotel Transylvania movies that have come out. And uh, he's working now on a, a movie called Vivo uh, with music from Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's the director in this particular instance. And so very well accomplished and some interesting stories along the way to kind of get you riled up in your own world to pursue your thing with some passion as well, whatever that might be. Also, I want to remind you as always, you are priceless. We tell our audience this every time. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing can change that. You are, always have been, always will be priceless. Don't let any lies or nonsense that people might say, do, or believe around you influence that in the wrong direction because you absolutely are priceless and nothing can change that. You're worth more than all the money and resources and all the things, just like I've always said. And with that, as always, of course, you're never alone. And uh, we talk a little bit about that in this podcast about not being alone. He talks about the great wife that he has who has supported him through all sorts of thick and thin in life. And whether you have any of those situations or not right now, the principles of sticking with these things, of passion, of pursuing what you need to pursue and following your gut. There's a lot of that in this interview as well as far as our intuition and listening to that and following through with it. So listen to all that intently and most importantly, not only for the entertainment value of the interview and the podcast, but also how we're going to apply these principles for you. So listen with that in mind. And as always, our podcast is sponsored by Audible. They offer our listeners a free audiobook. I've been listening to some great stuff. I started listening to a book about Metallica recently. Whether you like Metallica or not, there's all kinds of stuff out there, biographies and fiction, nonfiction. Just go to audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans. Pick out yours today. Free audiobook. You can't go wrong. That goes along with our challenges, the first one being study. Keep studying, start studying, whatever you've been doing, study, learn, grow, develop. All these things are going to just be a benefit to you. There's no question about it. So study. If you haven't been start, if you have been, keep going, keep going, keep learning, keep growing. Whatever your thing is, build your self-contained passion machine. Make great moments, the second challenge. Do that with your loved ones, co-workers, whatever it might be, roommate. <laughs> Make great moments. Make things that you can look back on in your life. And, oh, remember that. Remember we did this. Remember you surprised me or I surprised you. Remember this beautiful event that we did. And just romanticize your life a little bit. That's what making great moments is all about. With your kids, with your loved ones, with your spouse, significant other, whatever you might have. And uh, as always, the other last challenge, let's keep doing this podcast together. And we're 
almost to our 50th episode. So we're grateful that we've almost gotten to that milestone together. So go back and listen to all these other episodes. If you haven't yet, you're going to have to take a few days to go through and do that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm grateful to, to be your host and grateful to share this with you, this whole journey together. And we'll be talking about this when we get to 100 episodes and 1,000 uh, as well and other milestones along the way. But other than all that, without further ado, let's get into this interview with the one and only Brandon Jeffords. Today, we're privileged to actually have a live in-person interview. We've had a lot of phone interviews, but today we've got Brandon Jeffords, who uh, works with Sony Animation, has a extensive uh, filmography in that animation realm, and a very talented man. He's very humble, so he won't say it. So I've got to say that part up front here, but uh, I've seen his work, I've seen, and you've seen his work too, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, Smurfs the Lost Village, Hotel Transylvania 2. And uh, working on some other stuff we'll get into and has worked with all kinds of big names in Hollywood and so yeah. forth, voicing these characters that he and his colleagues get to draw up and move around the screen. So I actually have done a voice, too. Uh, you've done a voice oh, in the yeah. movie. Well, see, we're going to have to get into all that. Yeah, Which voice yeah, did yeah. you do? I did uh, the Magic Cauldron in the Smurf movie. Oh, you were the yeah, cauldron. Yeah. Well, yeah, see, the advantage to doing these things a lot of times is we, because the an animated movies, what people don't realize is you make these things like uh -huh. multiple times. The first time is just in drawing form. And we record everything. All the stars, before we've cast anything, we record everything mm -hmm. called Scratch Track. Mm -hmm. And then, so sometimes you're, you do Scratch Track and the director likes it, so they... <laughs> they want to. They want to uh, keep yeah, that let's in. Let's keep you in. Or sometimes you're just crossing your fingers until the end that they don't replace you. Mm, was that a so, one-liner, or did you have? No, I, I get to. I actually, and I actually wrote that. There's like a little bit of prose in there, so mm -hmm. I actually get to write the dialogue and mm. and do the character. So. Well, that's pretty big stuff right there. Yeah, the cauldron. That's the cauldron. I'm gonna be that for Halloween. You know, it's funny that you commented <laughs> actually on, on my voice because I do. I, I do have a bit of a younger sounding voice, I think, kind of nasally and annoying. But uh, <laughs> even though you're 84 years old, <laughs> you know, no. I always get cast as like these like deeper voices, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. So they can manipulate that in the mixer in the studio. Uh, they, well, I don't know how much synth they put on my voice, but uh, or you could get extra high and, and play Mariah Carey. And who knows? <laughs> Let's talk about this this whole thing because I've always. I, Everyone in America, we're fascinated with entertainment. We birthed entertainment, yeah, yeah, yeah. if I can say it that way. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, <laughs> I mean, Hollywood and New York, music. I've, you know, I do all kinds of things driving around town. We're all stuck in traffic. I listen to books, musicians, all these things. Yeah. A lot of it came from here. Now, do, do respect to all the other various places in the world and, and your friends and sticks, of which you're a big <laughs> fan, as we discussed before the interview. Uh, you outed me already on the sticks. <laughs> We've got to get that out of the way up front. Yeah, good, 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 good. So let's go back, though. Let's. I like to go back to the beginning because that's how stories go. You mm. start at the beginning and yeah. chronologically we go through it. W tell me about your childhood in terms of both your family and how you gravitated towards this artistic of in terms of drawing and pictures and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my my family history is probably way too long to get into uh, in this <laughs> podcast. I'll give you the uh, Reader's Digest version. Um, I actually have uh, a family of seven that I grew up with. My dad ended up getting remarried. Um, mm -hmm. And there were five others that came along sort of after I had moved out of the house. So... 
um, that that's the next chapter. Mm. Uh, but the first chapter, there was seven of seven of us, and actually, it was a his, hers, and ours family. So, I fell directly in the middle. The three older, three younger, but uh, I really only had one biological sister, and my dad remarried, um, and. Mm-hmm. The woman that I call mom, not really my biological mom, technically my stepmom, she, uh, she's the only mom that I know. I never actually met my biological mom. Mm. And uh, uh, I think it was around two or three that they ended up getting married, um, and she had two kids with her, um, mm-hmm. an older sister and an older brother, and then they ended up having three kids. So I was the youngest until they got married and had their three kids. And so then I had three younger brothers after mm, that. Wow. So. You got it's, sandwiched. It's, yeah, not a traditional family necessarily. But um, in, a, in a certain manner, I mean, eventually you became what sometimes was referred to as the crazy middle child. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah. I'm the youngest of three boys. But uh, so I don't know what it's like being in the middle, especially in the middle of seven. Yeah. <laughs> middle of three is one thing. Middle of five or middle of seven, you start to, this is a thicker sandwich. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. And uh, and I, I definitely had that, uh, I guess what you would call the uh, traditional middle child syndrome, gravitation towards creative. Um, I was definitely, uh, for the most part, just kind of lost in my own world most of the time. In fact, my mom would make jokes often about how I was spaced out quite often with my mouth kind of open, mm. gaping open, um, not really paying attention to much of the things that were around me. But I, I could get lost in my imagination quite easily. Mm. Um, it was just, it was a it was a great space for me. So was that f- kind of an escape? Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, yeah, it probably was a bit of an escape, you know. I didn't have the closest relationship with my mom, and I think my dad was constant... <laughs> He never re- he never had like a steady job until we got much older. So he was constantly out hustling, trying to get work and whatever. So mm, um, mm. I think there was a little bit of an escape that happened there. Wow. Um, if you really want to psychoanalyze it. Yeah. Well, that's why this isn't really an interview. This is <laughs> we're going to get into the Freudian deep yes. stuff today. I call you Doctor Phil. Yeah, I'm the I'm the <laughs> new Doctor Phil, <laughs> new and not so improved. Um, okay. So see, this is stuff. I like finding stuff out as we go in an interview because then mm-hmm. we can like pivot off of oh, it. Yeah. And yeah. that way it's not like we don't, I don't do a pre-interview and then that way we can just build. So well, you had this kind of broken home, which by the way, I can come from also not in this exact same way. I knew my mom. She wasn't around a lot though in my yeah. case. And so I know what it is to want to escape and I got into music. But why, how did it gravitate towards kind of the visual drawing kind of thing? Yeah, you know, um, I'm trying to remember my earliest memories. I mean, my parents talk about how I was always drawing on the walls mm. and uh, and how it was, <laughs> it was a source of much contention. And yes. then I would say, well, why didn't you get me any paper? And they said, well, you preferred the walls. We would get you paper. And then, and then I would. So <laughs> even before I can remember, I was drawing. So there had to have been just something about the tactile nature and my visual. Uh, I'm a very visual person. Yes. That, that, you know, made drawing something that I gravitated to. But also, you know, the, I guess my earliest memories of really being drawn to, to, uh, drawing mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. was uh, the animated <laughs> cartoons that I would watch as a kid. You know, my birthday was around was in the summertime, and that's usually when the big Disney film would come out. Yeah, and I remember seeing those things in the theater, and just from my earliest memory of saying I'm going to have a career, I was like, people get paid to do mm-hmm. this. Like mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. Mm. <laughs> so and it, it was cool because it, you know animation was like a big mix of everything that i really loved like music and acting and and storytelling and of course drawing yeah of course so wow so i assume your birthday is still in the summer <laughs> my birthday is still in the summer he said it was so i'm guessing it's still but so the movie now talk about some of those specific like what do you remember as far as animation influences and inspiration in those mm-hmm. days from movies and like from our generation we grew up with the saturday morning cartoons yeah. and then the things like nickelodeon came along gradually over years and i think you're a couple years older than me but uh, in any event no offense yeah, but no, tell no, me about some of the specifics um, oh gosh, you know, the, one of my favorite movies forever was Jungle Book. Oh really? <laughs> um, and it's funny because like, you know, we spend so much time in storytelling, talking about story structure and, and trying to reshape these things, you know, over yeah. years of time. And so like, I've, I've become a fanatic about like, you know, the, the feature structure, you know, building a two hour character arc, you know? <laughs> and this movie is literally just these vignettes, basically this character. I mean, it's strung together by this idea that we got to get this kid to the man village, right? But it's just all it is is like a new. It's very episodic. You know, yeah. what, who's the ne- next animal crew that we're going to meet, and what's the problem that they're going to face? And let's get out of this. Wow. This, you know, so yeah. I look back at it, and I'm like, well, gosh, it, it doesn't really have much story structure at all. But the characters that they created um, are timeless, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, when you look back at those old, what we call the 2D, the the uh, the flatter traditional animated movies, yeah. the drawings are still in there. You can still see the marks that were made by the, True. By the person. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. So That's... when I would come home from those, you know, I would I would imitate what I saw or I would find books and things and, and try to imitate those drawings the best I could. Mm. Wow. Yeah, see, can I, and I remember too, I mean, I wasn't obviously, I didn't gravitate towards this, but I remember, and kids get sucked into this stuff, if that's the right terminology, mm-hmm. you got sucked in in a, in a bigger kind of way that you wanted to follow in the footsteps of these kinds of things. Yeah. But I, you know, I remember Scooby and Heathcliff and, <laughs> and goodness gracious, uh, Inspector Gadget and oh, all the Disney stuff. <laughs> go go gadget arms and legs and <laughs> chopper oh yes penny and brain that was such a great show <laughs> such a great show and, and a lot of those overseas animated i think that one was another overseas animated film, uh, show uh they were like the best drawn yeah right like thundercats like all the ones that i really oh, yeah. love thundercats were done by these overseas groups and they just they put a lot more detail into their drawings mm-hmm. um there was a lot more love that went into the designs and i think in general most mm. of us animation nerds as we call them mm-hmm. um would gravitate to those the real ghostbusters i don't know if you remember that one that's a very obscure one but uh of course they were <laughs> well they versus were, the uh, the other that wasn't the real ghostbusters yes. they had the gorilla and they <laughs> yeah very odd show some people listening may not be from the art <laughs> era so they'll be like what the heck are these guys <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah, yeah. and a gorilla. People, people from my work, by the way, it's funny to be surrounded by people that grew up 
under the same you know, <laughs> nerd nerd kingdom that I did. It doesn't have to all be these nerds. References, all these references now. Well, <laughs> yeah. now you can look up anything on the internet. But, True. Uh, there was a time when it was just like, does anybody remember this? And nobody would. But, <laughs> and you're surrounded by, in animation at least, everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. So. Thundercats. Boy, Thundercats. That's a, I'm glad you point that out. <laughs> because not only is that great animation and great story, but great song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thundercats. Thunder, thunder, thunder. Oh yeah, you, of course you come at with the with the music well, you, music you. angle. <laughs> Thundercats. <laughs> well, right. yeah, and, and probably truthfully, maybe it wasn't the greatest, then, but it stuck with me. Inspector Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna think about all the references you give me and think about the the theme song. That's what drew you in. I know. Well, yeah, like. Like the guy who did the Ninja Turtles theme song. Were you into Ninja Turtles, by oh, the yeah. way? Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, it was a, my, my younger brothers were into it more, but, uh, but yeah, they've had their revivals. I, I heard this guy who did this talking. I don't remember where I heard this, but that was just one of these things where they just like quickly drew up some lyrics and a few minutes to the next sat down and recorded the dang thing. Oh, and now we have this Ninja Turtles song where Leonardo's <laughs> cool but rude. Michelangelo is a party, dude. And it's, but it's, you know, it works. <laughs> That's awesome. You just, uh, yeah, you, you surpassed my, my nerdiness with, by knowing those lyrics. Because I actually do not remember those lyrics. I don't know if I can do the whole song. <laughs> But I, I know that part because that's that's the highlight. Yeah, my wife. That's that's one of our stupid party tricks. Is my <laughs> wife would be like, my my husband remembers the words to all of these horrible, obscure uh, '80s sitcoms <laughs> and shows, sticks. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which sitcoms. Shows how much are time I sat in front of the television. Yes, family ties and all. <laughs> we digress. We got to get back to animation. Yes, yes, yeah, animation. But those were good. You know, good song, good sitcoms, good memories. And, and how you got the family ties. Uh, <laughs> the theme stuck in yeah, and cheers. <laughs> Sometimes you, do, baby? <laughs> you got me going too much. Oh, no. Okay, sorry. <laughs> now back to animation. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have any heroes? Like you know, me as a musician, I had specific musicians that were like, yeah, "These yeah, are my yeah, yeah. M- music gods" or whatever. Mm-hmm. But who who were they? Obviously, you got like a Walt Disney who's just like up there in the highest realms of <laughs> this oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because he's the he's the guy who pretty much invented it in a yeah. large big time way but walt disney is number one on that list um i you know as a as a young kid who you know much of i think success that i've had in my career has just been because i i'm a little bit ignorant about what it takes to get there and i I think I prefer it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of the the Han Solo character that doesn't. I don't want to know the odds, right? So <laughs> I really believed as a kid that I could be the next Walt Disney. You know, and it, it, it you know, I, I'm I'm seeing those those Sunday Disney specials. You know, where it's like when you wish upon a star. It's, yeah, it was yeah. it was ingrained in me that like you know your dreams can come true. So. I, I, I firmly believe this. Like, I'm going to be the next Walt Disney. I'm going to have my own theme park. I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, I, I was constantly drawing. And any any stories I heard about Disney, it was like, oh, you know, anything that, that mirrored my life, I was like, yes, that's that's my trajectory. <laughs> yeah. Don Bluth was another one that I, I really admired. Don Bluth was, uh, was one of the next generation. So Walt Disney had what they call the, the nine old men, that were kind of his go-to guys mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, 
forever were the like the only credits on all of those movies, right? The Jungle Book that I talk about that it has all of their credits on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really know all their names. I just kind of knew the animation styles. Um, Don Bluth came along and he was like the next generation, right? And I remember mm-hmm. reading a newspaper article one time that Don Bluth got hired at Disney right out of high school. <laughs> and I'm going, that's it, man. I'm going to get, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get recruited by the pros right out of high school. They're going to scout me. Right. And that's, that's it. That's how, that's how I do it. So Glenn Keane's another one that that's a huge inspiration. And he was again, part of the next generation of artists that came along. Glenn Keane is, is not human. I'm convinced <laughs> some sort of a, an Android of sorts, an alien, maybe. Um, cause he, what he does can't be replicated. Really? Really. really. His ability to just, I've never had this genius. I wish I did, but you know, to just roll out of bed and and be able to, to draw, you know, Picasso, Mm. you know, Mozart level drawings. Mm -hmm. If Mozart could draw, um, give him some credit. Yeah, I have there. I have ramp up time, <laughs> <laughs> and I still I still don't reach the Glen Keane level. Oh, but uh, well, it's good that you're being humble. But I, I like you talk about this belief and these inspirations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, when you and and as you talk about, we're still kind of in this younger years section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? So do you really? I don't mean to dig too deep on this, please but do, because please. we talk about the family dynamic, <laughs> how much do you think that had to do with you going as deep as you did with this this thing, walking around with your mouth open and just constantly head in the in the clouds, <laughs> thinking about Walt Disney and drawing and stuff? Right. Did that have much to do with it? Do you think? Or you know, in hindsight, when I look back, I I think it probably helped. A lot, you know. I, I look at some of the trials that I had as a kid, and and even some of that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that I was ignored because I wasn't ignored at all. Um, I was certainly left alone. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, you know the desire to connect with with something. You know, it's like I I don't know in the sense of family if I even had a sibling really that was sort of like, like my bestie. I, I shouldn't say that because <laughs> through my younger years, my sister who was really close to my same age, about five months apart, maybe. I mean, we, we were inseparable as kids, mm. um, from early on in the, in the years. In fact, in kindergarten, we sat in the same seat for about a week. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. And then, and then we eventually started moving apart and, and it actually, <laughs> There's a funny story in, in uh, uh, when we did the, um, what's it called? The sharing time. When you, when you, show and tell. Show and tell. Gosh, I, there you I go. Believe, yeah. When you did show and tell in kindergarten, uh-huh. um, we would always, you got to pick. Once you went, you got to pick who was next. Mm-hmm. And we would always sort of sit there and go, oh, let me see who I'm going to pick next. And everyone would just do the eye roll, right? Because they knew exactly who we were going to pick next. We were going to pick our <laughs> sibling. right and then there was one time when when she went first her name's wendy by the way Uh, okay Uh, when wendy went first and she looked and looked and looked and and did the same thing and then she picked somebody else and i was devastated (laughs) it was the beginning of the end i shouldn't laugh It's the beginning of the end for us. Oh my goodness! Uh, it's funny because we are kind of polar opposite uh, personalities. 
Um, and eventually we, we sort of, <laughs> it, we're, we're still close, but we're not, not sitting in the same seat in kindergarten close. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I sort of went on a tangent there, but, but yeah, it's the, fine. the desire to connect, the desire to, 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 to find companionship. And I, I think a little bit of that is sort of that imaginary companionship. I found sort of this, this comfort in my imagination. I found this comfort in, in, I don't remember having imaginary friends, but I would create worlds. Mm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the fun thing about drawing and, and imagination is you create these worlds, you create characters, uh, that don't really exist and you, you live with them and, you know, I could spend hours outside. I remember we had a pretty pretty big backyard growing up. I could spend hours out there by myself, just in my imagination. <laughs> and yeah, I, I do I do think it had a little bit to do with with that with my childhood. So and, and I hear that with a lot of uh, successful creative people that they they kind of were that way with and to a certain extent they kind of became loners in some ways too and that's not to say that's a uh, universal fact mm-hmm. across the board but uh, so, know, I was just gonna say speaking of psychoanalyzing my my backstory that's what we're doing I remember hearing from somebody <laughs> that um, the fear of abandonment is huh. one of the hardest issues to overcome mm-hmm. and i i mean some one thing one of those weird fun i, I don't know if it's called a fun fact about me is i never met my mom yes my my my, my biological mom died of alcoholism um in my 30s and oh, sorry to hear that i kind of had this imaginative thing of one day going and finding her and and meeting her it was it was this thing that i built up in my mind just because i had never met her and i always wondered what she was like and I remember hearing somebody say, oh, the fear of abandonment is one of the hardest issues to overcome in your lifetime. And I, I began thinking at that point, I was like, oh, well, I was like, I wonder if I had that and just never knew I sort of had that, that thing growing up. And, you know, mm. perhaps in the deep psychoanalysis of Brandon, um, <laughs> somebody would attribute that mm. imaginative alone time that I had to that. It could be. To that longing for connection. Yeah. Well, neither of us necessarily has the credentials to diagnose that sort of thing, but at the same time, you know, some logic can be uh, gleaned from some of it. That what we do in life a lot of times is compensate. You know, if if something over in this end isn't working the way we would prefer, then we do something else over here to kind. And sometimes that's in an unhealthy way. In yours, I would submit it's probably not because you you found artistic and creative expression mm. and something to then thereby benefit the rest of us that we can, you know, partake of as well um, versus getting into drugs or all the other various right. maybe vices or other, like <laughs> people do all kinds of things to compensate or or just hide from their quote unquote problems, yeah. just food and all these different things. Yeah. So you, well, I, I've got, uh, you know, I've got quite a bit of addiction that runs pretty heavy in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and thankfully it's something that, that I, I think I kind of looked at from a distance. I saw how it affected some of my, my siblings and I, I was able to, at a young age, say no, you know, very easily. But I also think I knew, um, I was able to kind of look at it from the outside and say, if I touched that, I'm gone. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to say no very quickly, and it, it became such a great habit of mine. I'm sure there was also the fear of getting caught. <laughs> you know, mm, that a little bit probably. But uh, because I said no so often as young, and of course coming from a religious background, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to discount any of that because it was a lot of that and belief that, right. that I shouldn't do it. Um, it helped me to not get in it. And now it's, it's to the point where in my later years, I've said no so many times that, and seen how it's affected so many other family members that I've just like, I know I can't touch it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of in that boat with you in a lot of ways too. I, it hasn't run rampant in my family, but you know, I grew up, where, where did you grow up by the way? I grew up uh, in Detroit, well near Detroit. It was oh, okay. A, it was a, a sub suburb outside of Detroit called Warren, Michigan. And, okay. uh, and that was sort of my youngest years. And then when I, when I finished elementary school in sixth grade, then my family moved to Arizona. Oh, so it's, it's quite a difference. Yeah. It, better weather. Climate, climate <laughs> yeah. wise, very different. So moved to Mesa, Arizona and I did my junior high, high school years in Arizona. Okay. So you went from one end to the other in terms of the it was climate. like moving to a new country for me. I mean, you think about the different in age, you know, where you jump from sixth grade to seventh grade and then going from Michigan to Arizona. It was like I had moved to a, a foreign country. Mm. Well, at least you got closer to California. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brought to you back this way. I mean, I know that in your adult years, too, you've told me you've lived some other place, Georgia and stuff, too, right? Or uh, Florida, Florida. OK, Florida and Texas. So close. Okay. Well, I (laughs) I took the average between on the map. Georgia's somewhere in there. So excuse me. I'm going to have to edit that out, but I don't think I will. (laughs) Let everyone see that I'm human and somewhat stupid at times. Uh, (laughs) No no offense taken at all. So uh, at least I was in the realm of the bordering (laughs) state. Okay. So Florida. And so you've, it looks like you learned your lesson in your younger years of being up north (laughs) to not experience those winters at least. It's, you know, when people ask, that's another thing too, when people ask where I'm from, like, I, I never know what to say because we, we moved around a lot. Even when I was in Arizona, we moved almost every year that I lived there. Oh, really? And that was through my, it was almost every year we lived in a new house. Now, luckily, I was able to stay in the same junior high, high school. So it wasn't mm. like yeah, that's a what military I was ask. situation where I was moving schools. Because that can be its own trauma. Oh. School to school to school. Is- yeah. I no. didn't experience that really either, but I so yeah, home wise, it's it's hard to say where I'm from because I've kind of lived in stints mm-hmm. in all these different places. So. so at what at what point with this artistic tendency did you know this is what I want to do? Do you have like a specific moment or age or something that this happened? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I'm 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 lucky and a, and a bit stupid in that I. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that will be a common theme of how stupid I am. Um, in that I knew very early that I was a very right brained person uh-huh. and there really wasn't anything that told me I should, I should stray away from that. Mm-hmm. So, and animation was what I was absolutely driven to. I was like, this is what I have to do. I don't know if there was a moment in time where I was like, Oh, the light went on. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I think. Um, the light must have gone on in at least one time when I, I went to one of these films and sat inside a theater and, and the, 
I don't know if you've, you've seen the movie Sing, but I, I remember that there's that, that little character mm. as a koala that he goes in with his dad at the beginning and he's <laughs> in the theater and he sees like this epic performance and that's when he knew. I, I need one of those stories. I just need to make one up. I think. But yeah. <laughs> Now's yeah. as good a time as let's, let's come <laughs> up sure, with. I'm sure something like that happened. I just don't remember. But it, with a lot of people who go the distance with an art, they knew early. Like I've interviewed a few people by now yeah. and they just knew. Like I interviewed the guy who's now the drummer for Corn, mm-hmm. um, also your favorite band. And uh, <laughs> how'd <don't>, you know? <laughs> and, but see, I got into this heavy music when I was a kid because I had some anger and stuff too in my family situation. But mm-hmm. but he tells me that he just knew, no matter what, rich, poor, successful or not, this yeah. is what he was going to do. Uh, it wasn't like oh, for a while I wanted to be a cop or an accountant. Uh, okay, <laughs> well, hey, well, why don't I do this? It sounds more fun to play the drums mm. or draw in your case you just knew uh, you know yeah. i know other people and other things as well whether it's arts or not yeah. people sometimes yeah. just kind of know and sometimes they know and they think they know like i interviewed a gal a couple weeks ago that uh, a teacher said you're good at this and that and good at arguing which might have been kind of a passive aggressive <laughs> girl swipe at her but then she said you ought to be able to, an attorney and then she started this trajectory of yeah why don't i be an attorney and then she was kind of right. disappointed when she right. got to law school and so she <laughs> no. changed course too but you yeah. know thankfully for you it sounds like you're pretty satisfied now as you come into adulthood <laughs> yeah yeah I, I you know i i talk to students and those that are you know, trying to break into the biz all the time and and a lot of them are plagued with, I don't know if I'm making the right choice or I don't know if I'm, if, you know, maybe I should go into this or maybe I should go into that. But yeah, I, I never, I struggled with a lot of self-esteem as a lot of artists do, or a lot of, am I good enough to do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I also was, was aware enough to know that I completely right brain. There was nothing left brain that I was going to be able to do. So I had to make it work somehow or another. Um, it's good how you you put these puzzle pieces together as you're coming up, though, that uh, like you saw the writing on the wall with the addiction thing, and mm-hmm. I'm going to steer clear of that. <laughs> I see also that I'm right brain, so I'm not going to probably go be the accountant. Yeah. Not that you couldn't. I don't know. But uh, you find more satisfaction and probably more contribution doing this with, with which you have a passion. I'm really good with math, by the way. That's a little, little fun fact. Like, oh, good. And, and do absolutely nothing with it. Okay, good. I, I think. Well, it being is. good at math means you're not entirely... This whole right brain, left brain thing yeah. is kind of a thing that's... Uh, so I, to my... In my estimation, we've kind of gone a little out of hand with yeah, it. But yeah, basically yeah. what it gets yeah, down yeah, to yeah. is you're creatively minded yes. and you that's more dominant yes, <laughs> with sure. you. For sure. Um, and because I've, I've listened to... I do a lot of listen to books and stuff and the, the people who are brain people, neurologists and uh-huh. stuff... They say that yeah, a lot of that's kind of a myth now, the way we all see all this stuff. And <laughs> you're either one or the other, or we only use X amount of our percent of our brain. Right. But again, I digress yes. because yeah. I have ADD. <laughs> and no offense to anyone Same listening. Here. This who is does. the perfect interview. We can just tangent away. <laughs> away. Let's not talk about me at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> I want to get back to talking okay. about you. We need a mediator. I think we need somebody else in here. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get someone on the phone. <laughs> you got to help us. We're out of control here. Yes. So now, again, with the coming up thing, and I remember as an artist, I had my favorite things as far as music. I want to just always my go-to song and a few things there that this is what I want. Did you have a go-to thing you like to draw? Or oh gosh, a go-to thing. Or that character. I like to draw. Oh, 
Um, no, I don't think so. In <laughs> fact, uh, here's this really strange thing about me is I refused to imitate stuff like, uh, really, I mean, I think everybody has kind of a go-to style. I mean, obviously based on what I've said, my go-to style was Disney for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I refused to draw Disney characters because I, I was under the impression that if I, if I kept copying somebody else that it wouldn't come up with my own style. Mm-hmm. I think it really hindered me as an artist because most everybody imitates something in order to learn, you know? Yeah. And so I was, yeah. I was sort of like <laughs> slowing my learning by, re- re- I will not draw like Jim Davis. I will not, you know? <laughs> um, but at the same time I would, I would secretly like sort of get books and things and kind of uh, like, Oh, how did they do this? And I would try to like draw them in different poses or whatever. But I was like, I'm not going to copy that style. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if, if you could, see a go-to for me it was definitely um (laughs) the disney style and for sure don bluth because don bluth was behind the uh do you remember the uh this this might be a little bit before your time a little bit dragon's lair the video game Mm, i i know i know of it by name but i'm not super familiar and then space ace was shortly after that Uh and so the Uh you know the the hook for those games where they were completely animated. Yeah. Right. I mean, they were cell animated just like the old Disney cartoons, Hmm. um, but it was a video game. And of course all it was, was kind of a choose your own adventure and you could, you turn the joystick one way and then it would, a new clip would come on, you know, but it it looked as if like, this is the, the best graphics of a video game ever created, you know, but it was kind of a gimmick, but it was a great gimmick because it was animated by, a Disney animator. Oh, cool. And it, it was the quality of, of any feature film that you'd seen, if not better. Hmm. So I would I would draw a lot of those characters as well. Those were kind of my go-tos as well. I loved dragons, monsters, uh, superheroes. Um, wow. Monsters were definitely one of my go-tos as well. Wow. Yeah, and on the note of video games, I mean, how does all that relate? Because video games started coming along when we were youngsters. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, the graphics in those days weren't the greatest. You had the Ataris and then the Nintendo and various things along the way. Did that have any influence on you as well, where you had the Marios and the Sonic, the Hedgehog kind of stuff? Yeah, well, the influence <laughs> the influence of video games in my life was more wasted time, not yeah, drawing. <laughs> but not towards the drawing. Okay. No, because, uh, you know, uh, the video games the generation before i actually discovered girls right so the <laughs> video games of that time period were very 8-bit video games right i think yeah. the most advanced video game before i actually discovered girls was like nintendo uh-huh. uh mario brothers maybe yeah so there wasn't anything in there that i was like aspired drawing you know i'd look yeah. more at the at the art on the side of the arcade <laughs> game yeah you know, oh, oh, that's really cool that's true <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but, I mean, since you say video games, like, by my college years, I was thinking, I had two trajectories, because mm. before that, it was, I'm going into film, and by the time I got to college, it was like, video games are starting to look like movies, they're starting to imitate movies, they're yeah. starting to tell stories like movies, I was like, you know what, I could go into video games and be huh. just as satisfied with that trajectory than, than film. Yeah. Um, and it just, I think it was sort of an arm wrestle of who was going to hire me first, <laughs> you know, and, and I actually had, this is really odd, but 
my my first sort of industry job in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, it was between a company in the same city, Dallas, a, a film company and a video game company, and they both were interested in me. Really. And uh, and yeah, the the film company won out. So. It seems like it. So you had kind of a crossroads situation there in college, huh? It was. I could be, um, you know, that could be my credits now is just video games if I had gone the other <laughs> way. So. so so, what were you majoring in to go this direction? Well, um, you know, my, my sort of college college uh, career was, you know, at the, at the very beginning, <laughs> before internet, um, I didn't know what to study. For, mm-hmm. to go into animation. I had no idea. You know, I could go to the library and get books maybe, but there was nobody around me that was going to tell me where to go. Um, I could, I finally ended up calling the local school where I lived and I was like, so uh, I want to go into animation and do you have an animation program? Mm-hmm. This was BYU. Mm-hmm. I lived in, in, in Utah at the time mm-hmm. and they were like, well, our animation program isn't quite there yet, but here's some other ideas for schools. And so... I ended up applying to Ringling School of Art and Design in Florida. I applied to a bunch of them. Yeah, um, that they the, uh, the list that he gave me, but uh, Ringling was the one. I was kind of late in the game, and they were the first ones to get back with me. And at the time, as far as going into animation, this was before CGI had, mm-hmm. had really hit the, mm-hmm. the screens. Um, at the time, illustration major was the best way to get into that. So that so they mm. would you know the mm. recruiters would be like yeah yeah oh you, you want it, you're interested in animation that's great uh, we have a great illustration program and illustration was all about learning how to figure draw you know and a lot of time because animation the old traditional way was very quick drawings mm-hmm. and the top level animation job the way to get into feature animation was to learn how to draw the human figure and learn how to draw it well and learn how to draw it fast. Mm. So yeah. these illustration programs at these these four-year colleges would put you in front of a figure model, and a lot of times they would do what's called gesture drawings, which are literally 10 to 15-second drawings mm. of the human <laughs> figure. So wow. they, would, they would get up, pose very quickly. Sometimes it would be like an action pose or whatever, and you would get down as quickly as you could your drawing, and then they would switch, and then you would, you would start again, start again, wow. start again. So... <laughs> Well, that sounds overwhelming. Some people listening like might get stressed out just hearing that. But it sounds cool too. Well, like uh, a challenge. They should not be stressed out because now uh, traditional animation has pretty much gone away. At least that <laughs> yeah. that um, that discipline has completely gone. Not completely gone away because they still do it for um, um, some commercials and some overseas. And and there's a little bit of it, I think, still in in television, but. Uh, CGI, I mean, there's no reason to really do that much figure drawing at all because it's it's a little closer to puppetry, I think. Um, of course, the traditional animators will tell you, you know, to really learn those poses, you should still have that 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 skill and that that learning. Um, mm-hmm. But I I know some animators as well that they don't really draw all that well, but can still animate with the best of them. So because that, that mm. CGI, which actually happened when I was at college, Toy Story came out while I was at college. Yeah. And it was, it was another moment of luck because I realized the writing was on the wall. What I was studying, at least, mm-hmm. the exact trajectory that I wanted was going to be a dead end. Yeah. Because very soon after I graduated, 
those jobs went away completely. Mm. And it was like either you learn how to animate in the computer or you find something else to do. And so I went towards storyboarding, which was better anyway, I think, because um, later on in the animation years, the animators stopped doing as much of the storytelling and were a little bit more sort of the the actors, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, early on in animation, the animators did a little bit more of, they were, they were involved a little bit more in the storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that I really loved. So yeah, yeah. Um, storyboarding, which was still hand-drawn. And when I say hand-drawn, I mean in the traditional sense, we still draw on a digital tablet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it would still be considered traditional drawing because I'm, I'm drawing Freehand. a 2d image, right. On a on a digital tablet, which I could do by, on paper if I wanted to, but the computer is much more forgiving. Yeah, well, you can manipulate it more with the the image on the computer. And I, I imagine can have my, I can have my right hand on Command Z, which is undo. Yeah, which you can't do <laughs> on paper. Yeah, you have to pull out the eraser. Well, so. that, that again is your intuition at work. We talk about these other kind of uh, examples of that where you saw, oh, here comes Pixar and Toy Story Mm -hmm. and computer Mm -hmm. animation. I better uh, shift gears a little bit here and and move more towards, as you say, the storyboarding. And and somewhere along the way, because I know you're a married man and now you have some wonderful kids. And um, now with this whole artist thing, did the, where did this where did the marriage come along and how did your wife take this whole gosh I love this man but he's an artist I don't know what to <laughs> like was that ever a thing <laughs> uh, you know what that's that's the unfortunate that's the very fortunate thing about my wife um, yeah she I think she was just it's funny because I don't know if she ever uh, dated artists before. <laughs> But you would think that she would have because she's so made for being married to an artist. She, I, <laughs> well, clearly. Yes. She, I mean, she, she has always been deeply in love with me and deeply in love with what I do and passionate about what I do and very supportive with what I do. Awesome. In, in the very traditional sense of marriage, I mean, she absolutely just is by my side and and always fighting for me to get further and further in my career and do better and better in my career without any thought for herself. Um, and she just, she loves the art. Wow. So that's great. It's never been an issue. It's never been, Oh, I married an artist with the eye roll or, Oh, he's a dreamer. It was more like (laughs) he's a dreamer. And she would look at that with dreamy eyes, which was really cool. Feeding into your dream mentality not yeah. just oh starving artist she, she definitely is <laughs> is an enabler as they say in the, in the addict world she's definitely <laughs> somebody that just says no this is what you are embrace it <laughs> and uh and so and yeah so wow. her our we we had a rocky start <laughs> mm-hmm. because uh and I'll, I'll blame my my past but you know I, I come from sort of a rocky past and I come from you know not necessarily the strongest uh, examples of, of what a, 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 a longevity in marriage is. Sure. And so uh, I think that was a bit of a rocky past because um, when after we were engaged, um, this, is the, this is the part 
in 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 the podcast where where all the the females uh, turn the, turn this off. But I <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> Just keep it on, ladies. I, uh, keep it on. <laughs> Endure through this. We're going to muscle through well, together. Well, no, I think I think they they might just listen for morbid curiosity. But uh, <laughs> I I um, canceled. I, the word canceled comes to mind. I called off our our engagement two mm. weeks before our marriage. Mm. So anytime we tell this to a party, it's like there's a gasp from all the females and all the all the men. Sort of like they just give you that look, like, oh, dude, you did not. <laughs> um, but uh but yeah two weeks before we were married and and eventually as you get talking everyone's like they give you that sort of pat on the back like oh no you're right you don't want to rush you don't want to do those things when they're the wrong thing but like still in the back of there they're going two weeks really yeah like, and i was a i was absolutely a coward i probably could have called it off a lot earlier um <laughs> but it was just one of those things like do i want to do it and i knew come two weeks two weeks before i was like i have to do this because if I'm going in with this cold of feet, then something's wrong here. So um, I called it off, and we actually parted ways. It was a very tough time. <laughs> it's not at all like in the romantic comedies where it's like, oh, it's <laughs> it's devastating for a day, and then suddenly it's this big romantic sweep. No, we. It was one of the most horrible days of my life. Was calling mm. off that marriage. Wow. And then, or uh, the, the wedding. And then um, we ended up completely parting ways to the point where we were dating separate people. We were out of each other's lives completely. Wow. And then a couple of years later, we, it wasn't a couple of years later, it was a little while later, but a couple of years later, we ended up getting married. Okay. So, wow. Then you, you reconvened. Uh, yeah. And that was, two, that was two years because I, so I left for college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I left to go to Florida from Utah. And I remember we kind of reconnected right before I left. I left her a note, uh, like a card on her car and basically said, you know, one of the most wonderful things has happened to me in my life. And uh, I don't remember exactly my wording. She probably remember the wording here, but I said something to the effect of, and I can't share it with the person that I care most about. And it was me going off to college. Um, and so mm. we, we sort of like re-met up and reconnected and we were kind of dating long distance mm. while, I, mm. while I was in, in my college years for the first two years. And then eventually I came back out, asked her to marry me, and then I brought her out to, to college for the last two years. Wow. So. Very forgiving woman. And oh, absolutely loving and supportive, and all these wonderful things. And that by the need. way, her family is too, because great <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. My, uh, after calling that off, I had to confront the parents <laughs> and expecting her dad, who was a ex Green Beret, special forces, <laughs> oh, military guy, tough as nails, expected you know, uh, to have my life in danger. And both of them put their arms around me and said, If it's not right, it's not right, don't you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be pressured into this, mm. and uh, let's let's give it some breathing space. So, wow. And, and one thing that you said that kind of has stuck with me is that, in a certain sense, we kind of chuckle, but in a certain sense, she's an enabler in the addiction <laughs> realm. <laughs> yes. Now, do you feel like this art thing? Uh, not to get too dark, but do you uh, think this has been maybe a, a more healthy <laughs> addiction of sorts for you where you've had this other, you know, tendency in the family, but then instead of drugs, alcohol or whatever, mm-hmm. art became your kind of addiction that way too. Oh my gosh, 100%, 100%. I don't, I don't know how I could spin it any other way. I mean, 
if I'm not thinking of artistically, creatively, like anytime I'm not thinking about the things that I, I the important things in life, I'm thinking about something creative. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just constant. I mean, I have a commute that's like practically two hours both ways and I have a tape recorder and I'm recording ideas. Wow. Know, and so, yeah, it's, it's my drug for mm. sure. It is absolutely my drug. So you are an addict. <laughs> I mean, we're, we might as well come clean right now with everybody listening. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I want to go down this road. Yeah, but uh, well, I'm, I'm sure, Brandon I'm and I'm, sure. <laughs> deep, I'm an deep. artaholic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. Uh, yep. Nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, this is humanity. I mean, this podcast is called Empower Humans. So <laughs> this is what we do as people. I mean, <laughs> one little thing can, can trigger something completely different in one person than it triggers in another. And yeah. where we have different genetic and familial kind of tendencies, uh, you know, in your case, I think you're very fortunate and obviously very intuitive and smart for your own good. To, to have seen writing on the wall along the way about all these various things. I, mm-hmm. And and God bless your wife <laughs> for, yeah, no, for sticking absolutely. with you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's hopefully more on the healthy side than on the unhealthy side because I don't know if there's ever been a time in our marriage where my wife has has sat down with me and said, you know, look, this, this creative thing, this, this constant, you know... Uh, imagination you know can we tone it down that's never been like that it's 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 always been keep going keep going keep going yeah and and so when we kind of get to the end of the whole college years and by that time you're married right yeah and and so how did you get to where from this whole idea for years and decades of your life i want to do this to actually doing it and for a living and making money and supporting a family. How did that come about? Was it an ugly process? Yes. <laughs> it was very ugly. You know, it's funny that we talked about Don Bluth, you know, right out of high school because, I mean, those were my, <laughs> Walt Disney, you know, and there was never any, any idols that I had that were, that were under, um, that were, you know, the overachieving, I mean, that was, that was, definitely part of my DNA and, and, uh, you know, my expectations were, you know, it's, it's going to be right out of high school. And then it's like, Oh, you know, going through college. Okay. They're not right out of high school. I really don't have those skills. So maybe right out of college and, and, uh, and the dreamer aspect of me, you know, it was always like your dreams will come true. So it was always like the highest aspirations and the quickest possible pathway. And it was, it was not that way at all. I mean, I ended up, First of all, when I graduated, you know, let's let's back up a little bit. So when you're in high school, you're mm-hmm. usually the best at what you do, right? <laughs> and then you go to college and you realize there's uh, there's hundreds of clones like <laughs> you that were also the same mm. in your high school. And so you narrow that pool down a little bit because not everybody was going into animation, um, but you're still comparing yourself to what's around you. And I remember getting everyone was prepping their portfolios and I I went over to the copier to get the portfolio that I was printing out and I picked up somebody else's yeah, and it was yeah. I still remember his name is his name was Paul Pham and because uh, <laughs> his name was right on the bottom and I was like I looked at the figure drawings because we had to just fill our portfolio with figure drawings and I, and I, I realized oh my gosh this guy's amazing <laughs> and it wasn't just that it was amazing it was 
I will never attain this level of figure drawing. I'm not going to do it in this four years that I'm at this college. And I don't know if in a lifetime of being in front of the figure, I'm going to be able to draw like this. Mm. And so, you know, some realizations, some alarms start going off in my head, you know, but Mm. at the same time, I'm still the dreamer that's thinking, you know, maybe one day, one day, one day. Um, But upon graduation, I, and this is not false humility. Um, I was not at the level to be able to go right over to Disney and be able to draw. Um, okay. I just couldn't. There's no way. And I, and there were guys that I knew that were graduating right from my college and going right to DreamWorks was really big at the time. They, mm. they were broke into the scene and they were competing with Disney. And so there was more jobs out there. Mm. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to follow. I'm going to do what those guys do. But I knew upon graduating, I ended up working in a newspaper. I was doing um, uh, what was... Uh, considered editorial illustration. Mm, yeah. Um, people think political cartoons, you know, but yeah. at the time newspapers were a little bigger than they are now. Yeah. And, uh, it was the St. Petersburg times and there was a lot of articles that you get that aren't, they don't have photography. They don't have anything, an image that you can put with it. Sometimes it's just a, um, a political editorial or an, uh, or just a comment about life or, whatever. And, uh, they needed sometimes an illustration to go with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was drawing for a living and, um, I was doing more than just doing drawings. I, they were full illustrations with color and I was able to explore different mediums, but it was a long way from Hollywood. Yeah. You know, yeah. and literally it did, it did and not pay. <laughs> it did not yeah. pay that well either. Yes. Uh, the opposite side of the country <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, it did not pay well. So, uh, I ended up getting, we talk about the rocky road to get to actual career. Um, I was so desperate to get out of this world that I took a job from essentially a crook, um, which never panned out. I mean, I, I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to work. I don't remember what the guy's name was. I don't remember exactly what he was hiring me to do, but it was closer to what I wanted to do. Mm. And it was the promise of maybe a little more pay. And, uh, and they even, I remember they had a little party for me leaving, leaving the, all the whole news art staff was there and they, and they had like little Mickey mouse ears. Mm-hmm. Like I was on my way to Hollywood <laughs> and it, it weeks in without getting a paycheck and, and doing very little work. I realized I'm never going to get paid by these people. Mm. And I've, 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 I've lost my footing. I was married. I had a kid. And mm-hmm. I went back and essentially begged for my job back mm. to, for these people, and I couldn't get it back. Wow! Um, and so I Goodness. ended up driving taxi. There was there was a guy at my church that was saw that I was down and out, that I had a family, and he was like, "Look, you know, while you're looking for work, he's like, I run this taxi company. I can I can give you a car, and and you can you can drive mm-hmm. taxi. Mm-hmm. This is before Uber, before any of that business." And the, I think the darkest place in this, this rocky road towards my career was, um, sitting in that taxi, you know, at 4am, that's when our, our shift started and you would go out, the sun wasn't up and you would listen to the radio and just wait for a call to say, okay, this is your first. And it was my first, first day on the job and the boss he called up over the radio and I could hear him. He wasn't even talking to me. He was talking to the dispatcher or whatever and said, my number said, did so-and-so make it out there? Um, he was just checking up on me because um, he was a friend. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just sitting in that taxi going, this is, this is, this is it. Like, I thought I was going to go somewhere, and I didn't. 
Mm. And, uh, and one of my first drives was to drive kids from the airport. Then remember, this is in the city that I graduated from. Drive kids from the airport to the college that I graduated from. <laughs> all starry-eyed and waiting to, to go into that yeah. college. Um, of course, I didn't. Everybody always asks me, did, well, did you tell them? <laughs> no, I did not say a word to Burst them their bubble. Where, <laughs> where I graduated Misery loves from. company, yeah. <laughs> it was more out of embarrassment rather than, than not bursting their bubbles. Because <laughs> I just figured at that point that I was a loser and that everyone else was going to go on to the dreams that I... Yeah. I, anyway, I, I don't know if you wanted me to continue on. Well, no, that, I mean, but, uh, before we continue on, yeah. how, how does it feel to tell that story? Because it's the kind of thing, p- people go through various versions of that story in their mm-hmm. lives. So, by the way, we're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> and we always tell our audience that, by the way. But um, uh, there's this level of vulnerability to tell sort of the darker side of yeah. our stories, yeah. the, the the disappointments and the... I had to drive taxi, which again, you're still you're still living in America. You still have opportunities galore, and you're still uh, you. St- it's not the end of the road, clearly, because here yeah, we are. Yeah. But uh, how does it feel telling that story? Is it is that something you just tell readily at this point? <laughs> it is something now because. I mean, look, I'm in a safe place. I've got a nice job. I'm, I'm directing a, a film for the first time. It is yeah. my dream. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot easier to tell the story now. I, I would say there were certain times in my career where it was not as easy to tell that story because I, I wasn't telling it from a safe place. Mm. Um, but now it feels more like, hey, this is an inspirational story for you. If you're <laughs> one of, If you're like me and you're not like a prodigy and you're not somebody that's like, you know, a Mozart growing up that mm-hmm. you're just a regular dude and you want to go into this well guess what i'm just a regular dude too you know i've told that to universities and in, in like talks that i've gone to and and it's so funny to hear the gasp in the audience when i tell the story about driving kids from <laughs> from the airport to to my college um, and and in the end i find it's what connects me most to them yeah because most people are struggling most people are trying to, even me, I'm still struggling, even though I have that, what some people would consider the dream job. I'm still struggling because it's that hunger. You're always, mm. you're always sort of wanting to break out to get to the next level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think most people kind of have that, um, that drive. It's what makes us human. And, uh, and so, yeah, they connect with that and they come up afterwards and they're like, oh yeah, my gosh, yeah, I yeah. love that story. Uh-huh. So. But at least, uh, I mean, it's, it's something where people can relate, and, and obviously this isn't the first time you've told the story, so I yeah. guess there's that. <laughs> so uh, I, yes, now you're numb to this. It's like one of those things where it's like <laughs> we look back, we say after a bad day, I'm going to look back in five years and laugh or whatever. Right, right. And so now we are more than that later, and now we can look back and kind of laugh and at the same time uh, see where things have gone since and realize, boy, there's hope not only for Brandon, but <laughs> other people out there. Yeah. It doesn't mean, like I heard someone the other day say, the struggle is guaranteed, success is not. So no matter, and not to be, that's not even a pessimistic position necessarily, but it is true. Yeah. <laughs> the struggle yeah, yeah, is yeah. guaranteed, success oh is not. Oh my gosh, it's so true. But, but what, what are the ingredients to get to, well, and let's continue with your story, by the way. Yeah, yeah. After this taxi stint, how yeah. long did that last, and then where did we go from there? So the taxi stint, I can't remember how long it lasted. I think it's, it's one of those things I block out, but uh, <laughs> it feels like an eternity. Yeah, but it wasn't more than a year. I mean, it was probably only only about six months. But uh, mm. yeah, I 
you know, the internet was was starting to become a good tool for finding jobs, and I would go to this site, uh, and and it was they were posting jobs for people that wanted concept artists, and I figured, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna get this, if I'm gonna make it into film, I've got to start looking for jobs in that field. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And again, I told you about the, the video game company, but it was I remember. Uh, in this tiny apartment in Florida, I I found a job that looked p- very promising. It was a company called Real Effects in Dallas, Texas. And uh, at the same time, there was another video game company, which I don't remember the name of, but I sent my portfolio. I was sending them out to a lot of places, but these are the two that stand out because they both actually got back with me. And one of them, thankfully, uh, had one of my old teachers that mm-hmm. was working there. Yeah. Um, I only had him for a semester, but he remembered me and well, first the video game company, they called me up and they were like, uh, we really love your, your style. And I think I really stood out to them because most of what they got, you know, they, they were real. I mean, just like most video game companies are still, I think is like they, they were marketing towards the the dude, you know, so they had like the, the, the busty girls with the big swords and the monsters (laughs) and the dragons. And so I liked drawing all that stuff, but I think I had sort of a, a heart version of that. Yeah. Right. Because I, I had that Disney backup. And so, you know, the idea that, uh, that somebody could have sort of a twist on that. And so that was one of the things they said, Oh, we love your, your drawings because they're so, um, they're so human, you know? Um, but then at the same time, the mm-hmm. real effects called me up and he's, and I remember he said, uh, that job, by the way, I think they kind of fell off and they, they weren't contacting me as much, but then the real effects guy, he called me up that the one that was my professor. And he said, he said, we really like what you're doing. Um, we like your work. What are you, what are you do? What are you doing for work right now? Mm-hmm. And I said, I was driving taxi and he said, not anymore. <laughs> and so that was it. They, that's they, a relief. They, yeah. And I didn't care. I, they, I don't think they paid for my family to, to move out there or anything else. I did not care. I was, I was packing my bags as quickly as possible and going out there. And fortunately, that company was kind of a younger company. So it wasn't like an industry job where you're just like, I broke into the biz. Yeah, yeah. It was more like they were what I was, which was <laughs> a struggling artist trying to make their way in, in this new CGI landscape. Yeah. So they were a CGI company and they were trying to break into the feature business and they were doing everything, and so it was kind of a garage band. So I was able to get in. I, I guess it would be compared maybe to what, how Steve Jobs started, you know, with just this group of guys in the garage with a bunch of computers and like, what are we yeah. going to do with this? Yeah. And uh, and I started learning all the stuff that I didn't learn in college, sort of on the job there. <laughs> and they're the ones I I attribute to to everything because they helped me kind of build my my skill set to be able to actually break in. So I made it halfway to Texas. And then eventually I was able to, to break into the feature business through the, through the work that I, I did through, through them. And, and in the meantime, as you're going through all this and then you get kind of this break of sorts, um, what's going on with your wife? <laughs> <laughs> you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Yeah. Those, you'd think the support would start waning during these years. Um, and this is where I say, I honestly cannot think of a single time when she doubted me or doubted my trajectory. Wow. It was always support. Um, shout out to her. I, I definitely need yeah, to, definitely. To, to, uh, 
to hug her when I get home because <laughs> that, uh, please. Uh, yeah. I can't think of a single time when she was like, really, really animation. Like, do you, do you think You're driving like taxi maybe? and we're struggling? Right. No driving taxi. And I, and another horrible story. It was right before Christmas and I was, <laughs> I was rushing through some jobs to get just enough money to, to get my daughter something for, for Christmas and my wife. And I, getting, I, I made some pretty good money that day, and I was so jazzed. I was rushing back to to get to my next next gig because I'm thinking maybe I'll get one more. And, and I, I flew a little too close to the sun, I think, because then I got pulled over, and my ticket was for the exact amount that I had <laughs> made that day. Goodness so, gracious. Yeah. No, it was dark times for <laughs> sure, and, and struggling artist. I think uh, the church at some point helped us with some assistance. And there was never a time when my wife was like, hang it up. It was always just like, okay, where do we go to next? What do we do, what do, we do next? And she's kind of a stress case. I will say that about her. She, she if, if there's something that's, it's a completely euphoric moment of meditation and, and peace, she'll find a way to stress about it. So you would think that the stress would have, would, would have toppled her over and, then that, and that eventually I would have had to break down and find a real job, as they say. <laughs> um, but no, she she muscled through and uh, and supported me all the way, and and the great thing about that is when the successes come, it's like you have somebody to share that with. They're huge successes. I mean, yeah, those yeah, times yeah. when I got that job, it was just like my dream had come true. Yeah, that day, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and so you ended up. Uh, now, is that when you went to Texas, and then how how long were we doing this with this? And that sounds like a very uh, open ended kind of thing where yeah. you have kind of this fledgling company, yeah. and it says a lot about you that this company is trying to go places, picks you to be part of their team to try to build whatever empire they're trying to build, and yeah, so they yeah. see something in you, and and so how long, and then how did that lead to the next place? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, that's that's. I'm glad you you spun it that way because I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> but well, now you got um, another spin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so that lasted, I want to say, about seven years. Um, yeah. In that company, and uh, it was, it was definitely a learning time for me. So I mean, you say you know stuck it out at this company, but. Or I don't even know if you said that. Maybe I just imagined you said that. But, um, you know, they were growing at the same time I was growing. And so we were kindred spirits at the time. Yeah. Um, and even though, I mean, because I, I didn't really think too much about going into storyboarding until I started working for them because they had that option open. I really thought more of going into what was called visual development, what what is called visual development or yeah. concept art, yeah. which is drawing characters and and environments and vehicles and props and things like that for movies i didn't think about the story aspect of it which was actually telling stories and so as they were a growing company they allowed you to move into different disciplines because they didn't have departments Mm -hmm. so they had a good um relationship with um william joyce who's a children's book author and Mm -hmm. and Movie maker. I mean, th- this guy's imagination has touched everybody's life. In fact, I think he's probably one of the single most people that has influenced the animation world more than any other single person that you don't that you've never heard of or maybe mm. didn't know about. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he did, uh, he, he had a whole string of successes with children's books that he did, and then eventually he went into the CGI realm because he's really good at building worlds. And so it was this relationship with him that allowed us to sort of like think, hey, perhaps this company could make feature films mm. like mm-hmm. Disney or DreamWorks or some of the other big giants because he would bring these worlds and he had this relationship with the heads of our company and say, what if we did this here? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little harder to 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 have some of your vision realized at some of these bigger companies. And so I think he had such a, a good a good establishment with these guys because it was like, maybe we, maybe I can have my full vision seen in this realm because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a little bit smaller sandbox. Right. And so I was, <laughs> I was drawing on things that felt like they were going to go into feature films. Um, in fact, uh, I don't know if you remember the movie, was it called guardians of childhood or, uh, that's what the book series was called the legend of the guardians. It was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, DreamWorks animated film that started out at real effects. Oh, so really? We were doing art for those movies. Eventually DreamWorks came in and bought it up. Wow. Um, so yeah, we were making, it felt like these epic, epic films. And, and, and William Joyce was working on a movie called robots at blue sky studios. And so he would come in and he would show us some of the, some of the daily stuff that they were working on. And I remember going from the guy driving taxi to just a week later sitting in, looking at the reels for a feature film and having William Joyce sort of talk about like, what do you think we could do to improve this? Uh, And for me, it was like, wow, like this is a dream. And I would go home and tell my wife, like, this is a dream. And I'm living in this cheap apartment with my one kid and barely being able to put food on the table. But I felt like I was started, I started touching a little bit of that dream that I dreamed when I was a kid. Wow. Um, so I don't know. Um, Talk about ADD. I feel like I'm no. You're doing. You're doing tangent. awesome. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. That so that just continued to grow. Those relationships continued to grow, and eventually, uh, um, that company loaned me out to Sony Pictures um, to work on um, sort of a straight to DVD sequel, Open Season. Hmm. And uh, the problem, the only problem with that company is, uh, you know, in growing and growing as much as they did, they never grew what department that I was gravitating to, which was their story department. Mm. And so when they loaned me out to the, to do these other things, I would, I would sit with other story departments mm-hmm. and I would go, Oh, this is what it's like to work with, you know, six to 12 other people that do what you want to do. And it was such a wonderful environment. It ended up becoming a, uh, sort of a bad deal because what they were doing is they were loaning me out to learn and to come back and, and grow, but they didn't really have the desire to build their story department at the time. And so eventually I, I ended up cheating. <laughs> on them. I guess you could say I didn't go straight to work for Sony, but eventually they were like, okay, you got to come back to Texas now. And I just said, I told my wife, I was like, we need to stay out here because this is where all the jobs are. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think I've, I've reached my limit over what they can do. And so <laughs> I, wow. I, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna do that until I had another job. And fortunately Nickelodeon hired me. And, and so I was able to say, all right, let's, let's stick around out here in California. And f- I've been here ever since. Wow. <laughs> what an interesting chain of events from all the things in your childhood and the family and the, and the, just knowing this is what you 
wanted to do and then following these gut things along the way, this intuition. Mm-hmm. And, and even just now you're talking about, okay, you feel like you've reached the pinnacle where you can with this other company. So we need to stay here now, yeah. which is kind of a big move. And again, God bless your wife. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in you. And, and thankfully your gut it was in tune with some uh, some steps the right direction. And there's some logic to it. being in L.A. and that whole thing. Oh, yeah. There's more jobs, there's more opportunity, there's more money, there's all, all of that. Right, right. So, but, I mean, I also, by that time, had four kids, and, uh, and you know, the rent was astronomical. And so, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it was not an easy change Compared easy to Texas choice. in particular. There was a moment where we, a moment in time, where it was that other crossroads moment where I said, either we're going back to Texas. Oh, really? And we'll probably be there for the rest of our lives, who knows, or we're staying out here. And unless I can get a job, we're going back. Unfortunately, I, I found one. So, yeah. Do you now, as we talk about this struggle, getting to this place, um, do you see that there's any value in that struggle that, that you've gleaned in your life as far as, uh, any lessons learned or strength gained and being the taxi driver and, and, you know, not quite yeah. getting where you wanted to be with, the, you know, the dreamy eyes of a kid watching a <laughs> Disney movie. Is there well, any value I mean, in that? Yeah, I think for sure there's value in it because I, I always wanted to be the genius. I always wanted to be the, I always wanted to be the Sherlock Holmes, right? I wanted mm. to be the one that had the gift that, <laughs> that was the prodigy. You know, I wanted to believe that I, I had something more than the average human and I, I was, I was superhuman. And so, you know, one of, I think one of the most valuable things for me is discovering my, my mortality, Yeah. Um, that I was not that. Uh, in fact, uh, when I started, this is one of those moments where this really came clear for me. If, if going to college and being around all those people wasn't clear enough for me, uh, you know, some of those things, I think you're just like, okay, uh, I'm just going to forget that. And I'm going to continue on with my, uh, my, my stupid dream of becoming this. Um, when I started at real effects, I started the same day as another guy, his name was Jake Parker, um, who is an amazing artist. He had already, he did the Don Bluth thing because I think he had those same, that same skill set. He went to work. He never went to college. He went straight to work for an animation studio, Fox, I think, which was Arizona at the time. And so we started on the same day Mm -hmm. and here's a guy who never went to college and here's a guy who went to the four years, did the whole discipline. (laughs) And I remember they would do tours, you know, because they were constantly trying to to woo clients at this place. And they would literally skip over me on the tour and go right to right to Jake. Um, (laughs) Oh, goodness. For well, I mean, he had worked at some places, too. I mean, it wasn't just his skill set like he had he had been there. He'd he'd done the big studio. So it was a way of saying, here's some of our our superpowers here. And they're not going to go. Here's a guy that just graduated from Ringling because nobody knows what that is. Mm, Right. So but (laughs) not only that, we would get the exact same assignments. Mm -hmm. Right. So one of our assignments, we worked on this, uh, uh, the straight to DVD uh, move feature called uh, with a G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the things that you had to do was you had to draw a character and turn around. So you had to draw the front, the side, and the back view of these characters. And sometimes all you had was an action figure or a few like old concept art from the archives of Hasbro, the owners of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And 
he could draw these things in less than an hour and turn them in and it would take me at least an entire work day to finish these. And so here is a black and white example of how my skill set was not ready to do what some people could do like that. Mm. And not only that, but do without any training. Um, so I always thought I was that guy. Mm-hmm. And instead, realizing slowly throughout my career I wasn't that guy, I had to work really hard to become that guy. Not that Jake hasn't worked hard to, to do what he's done, because he really has. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the hardest workers I know in the business. But uh, but I was somebody, like I said earlier to you, like there was ramp up time. I did not roll out of bed and draw amazingly. It, it took some time. It took some work. And so I feel like, at mm. least for me, not only was that important to learn, but I think it's important to learn for anybody because there's not that many Mozarts out there, <laughs> right? Most of us are just somebody that has a passion that really loves to do something and they want to break above the fray and make a difference or, yeah. you know, touch somebody's yeah. life with their, with their abilities. And so learning that <laughs> early on, very early on in my career was valuable and, and letting that sink in and going, you know, it's okay that you're not the prodigy. It's okay that you're not the genius. Um, there's, there's value in, in that. And, and one of the most, I think the most precious parts of that is that I can share that experience with other people and inspire them. Yeah, of course. In a way that I couldn't inspire them by saying, "Hey, guess what? I went to work for Disney right out of right out of high school." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and, th- and that's that's where most people fall. So you'll be able to connect with more people with that that kind of story too. Um, I don't even know if I answered your question, but well, <laughs> half the time I think I didn't go off. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, you're at, you, it's not even so much the questions as the story. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, when you're in feature films, whether it's animation or not, it's all about story. Because you could have a you know $500 million movie and nobody wants to see it because right. the story sucks. <laughs> I mean, and you have a great story. I mean, we'll, maybe we'll make a movie about you. Yes. One of these days. Yeah, here yes. comes the taxi driving straight animator. To, well, you can't say straight to DVD anymore. <laughs> straight to Netflix <laughs> no, who knows but but at the end of the day it's about the story and I love hearing I love hearing anybody's story in this case I love hearing your story because everyone's story seems to have elements of second guessing questioning dark times mm-hmm. and yet passion and I'm, and I'm seeing common threads as I interview different kinds of people of of just sticking to something uh. and you use the word belief earlier. How, how important was this through this whole trajectory we've kind of gone through here? Mm-hmm. How important was this belief? Um, and maybe in some regards, maybe an ignorant belief that just, you just kind of blindly believed you could do this mm-hmm. and no one was saying any uh, derogatory things to make you second guess in those days. But how right. important was that if it was? <laughs> well, um, I think it was, it, there was an importance in that. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I feel was a fault of mine growing up was um, I, I was pretty ambitious. I don't necessarily think that was a fault, but my fault was that I I didn't I avoided all forms of criticism as possible as much as I could. So, like for instance, if I I ran for student council when I was in in junior high, like I didn't want input on my speech before I gave it to thousands. <laughs> people. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a pretty big schools 
I just wanted to do it. Yeah. I had confidence enough in myself that it was going to be okay. Um, I had already made such a fool out of myself in such different capacities in my life. I was okay with ma- being made a fool of in front of my entire student body. I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I felt like I had something of value. And if I allowed any sort of criticism in early on that I was going to abandon it. So I would purposely not show anybody as, as much as possible. You know, there's people I think that constantly are rehearsing in front of people, getting, getting feedback. Um, that's something that I had to learn as I got older, that it's okay to get that critique. You don't have to abandon it. It's not the end of the world. And that critique is actually going to make you a little stronger. And then sometimes you can listen to a critique and just let it slide off your back because it's not important. And other times it is important. So you should probably listen to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Again, I don't know how much of that my upbringing um, put that that sort of uh, plague on me, but uh, uh, I, I completely lost even what your question was. But uh, <laughs> well, we're talking about the belief part, and you yeah, didn't yeah. let anything, any negative vibes into that whole process for you. Even if some existed, you steered clear and turned the other cheek, <laughs> so right. to speak. Well, part like, of that too was my own sense of. Uh, uh, my low self-worth and low self-esteem. It's so weird that I could have this this juxtaposition of, hey, he thought he was going to be the next Walt Disney. But at the same time, I remember definitely early on in my career, my wife never questioned me, but I was constantly going, what if? What if I was not meant to do this? There was this idea that you know that you had to sort of be meant to do these things. And what if I just wasn't meant to do it? And I remember constantly like, you know, I'm a very religious person. I was I was making it a matter of prayer, and I was just thinking, what if God didn't mean for me to go in this direction? Mm. And I'm starving my family, <laughs> and putting everybody on this stressful path with myself. I'm just I'm I'm in the front of this 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 mad driving vehicle or whatever, and I've got my entire family in the back, and I'm taking them along with me, and it's a it's just madness. Yeah. And so there was yeah. there was this constant voice in the back of my head going. Really? Hmm. Really? Did you did you not figure it out when you pulled that guy's drawings off of the photocopy machine that maybe this was not your, <laughs> your calling? So you were your own nagging wife. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, your wife wasn't I, the nagger. No, I you were your <laughs> <laughs> that I was. I I did enough of that myself. Wow. And I don't do that anymore. Wow. I don't know why I don't do it anymore. I'd have to search further into that. Um, but I would recommend. <laughs> To any poor soul that's that's doing the same thing to stop doing it because it just I'm sure that it put me back yeah it may even have put me back years I might have been able to do a lot more if I didn't constantly have that in mm. the back of my head so yeah I, I would say get rid of that voice it's not it's not worth it it's, yeah. it's such a detriment to to being able to to move forward yeah and, so. and on that note of counsel of get rid of that particular voice mm-hmm. is that what else do you have to say to aspiring especially artists and animators and you know anyone else in general who's yeah. aspiring to yeah. do and be something what do you have to say to them as someone who's come through some dark times and so on mm-hmm. or anything else you'd like to impart <laughs> to these people gosh i mean other than than what i've said i mean other than to to just reiterate what i've said you know absolutely you know get rid of that that voice, that voice of doubt inside your head. I, I think it's important to be realistic. I've been a lot more realistic as I've gotten older. You need to 
I mean, especially with so much information that's out there, you should look and see how you measure up for sure. Mm. Um, Good point. You know, pe- some people say, well, don't compare yourself to other artists, which is true. You, I mean, I, I do think the best person to compare yourself is, is with you, with yourself, um, because artists will drive themselves mad comparing themselves. Uh, <laughs> I did even before the age of internet. I don't even know how they do it now, because if I saw half the stuff now that I saw on the photocopy machine in college, now yeah. it's all out there for everyone to see. Yeah. If I saw half that stuff, I may not be where I am. Um, so, but it is important to compare yourself only to say, that's where I'd like to be. There's no reason that you ever need to be as great as whoever your, your biggest hero is. Um, because there's certainly in the creative field, there's plenty of, of jobs out there and there's plenty of other ways to balance out any faults that you may have, um, in your, in your art. And you're usually going to, you know, aspire to be someone that you, you could never aspire to be anyway. I mean, you're looking at the geniuses out there going, they're the greatest. And, and so you, you may not ever reach their, their status, Mm. right? Um, so it's important as you look at that artwork to, to compare, but most important to compare yourself to yourself and make sure that you're continuing to grow. Yeah. And then, you know, find other ways to, to balance out the parts that you, that aren't genius, you know, because you, you may not be, uh, the next Mozart. You may just be pretty, really, I mean, I'm above average at what I do. Uh huh. And I found other ways, you know, maybe perhaps with my storytelling, perhaps with my leadership skills, perhaps with my personability or, or other skills that are able to say, you know what, he may not be the best artist on the crew, but X, Y, or Z make him very valuable to what we, what we have. Sure. So one of my favorite, uh, I have, I have these like movies that I love because I'm such a movie buff. And one of my favorite movies is Rudy. Yeah. Sports. It's funny because I, I don't play a lick of sports. I don't follow sports, but like some of my favorite movies are sports movies because <laughs> they're, they're inspiring. Yeah. They're very aspirational. It's always about the underdog, you know, yeah. uh, to, to psychoanalyze somebody, uh, <laughs> somebody's movie choices. I think for me, like I, I <laughs> I'm drawn to those because of the underdog story. Rudy really just, I love that movie because at the end of the day, it's not about winning anything. He just wants to be on a team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you, you realize going through this two-hour movie that by the end of the time, the last thing is him just running onto the field with this, with the team he's wanted to be on. How anyone was able to make that into a movie, I don't know, and why <laughs> why it's so entertaining. They did it well, me. though. <laughs> they yeah. did. They did it really well. Um, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like a lot of what you're saying from my interpretation and maybe some in my own words is we all ought to artists in your sense or not embrace our individual journey, mm-hmm. not compare ourselves to the next person because our journey isn't that because it's an individual journey. Oh, so absolutely. by nature, therefore, it's not this other guy or gal and mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. follow that passion and just like in your case, you had these dark times and so on too, where you never know what light is around the corner, what new yes. opportunity, what possibility in the realm where you want to be. And this other thing might have been a good learning and growth experience mm. too. So just embrace all of it because it's all part of one big uh, picture of, of success. And, and I like the idea of uh, you talking about imitation earlier, but being an individual. I mean, you can bring in these influences, like from a musical standpoint, you can hear a certain band or singer whatever and see oh i could see where they were into this and that when they were coming up as a 
musical person and you see that come through but you also see their individual take on the art right uh Right. And that's and that's where you, you come into your own uh, as an artist. Yeah. And and anyone out there listening, whether you're an artist or an accountant or any of these other, I say accountant a lot. I don't know. I don't know why. No offense <laughs> to the accountants, because I love the accountants. It's that a time of year. Accountant. It's that time of year. We gotta we gotta really love the accountants because we're recording <laughs> I this. Love mine. Yeah, it's springtime. It's time where taxes are due. But uh, I I love everything you said. I could go on and on and on. We will have to do a sequel here. Oh yeah, because I love it. I love it. It's been fun. Uh, you've been able to work and work with all kinds of big names in the business. We're not yeah. big name droppers and stuff. <laughs> Maybe I will in my intro. But uh, anything else you want to add? Any other? I mean, we've kind of covered the gamut of yeah, yeah. the gist of your story, mm-hmm. and you get to work on these movies, and it's inspiring for a lot of people to hear. Oh yeah, all the details of that. Is there anything else you want to add? And if not, no pressure. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay. Well, again, Brandon Jeffords, we're grateful for the opportunity. You're directing this movie, Vivo, coming out in 2020. Yep. Music by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who yes. we all love. Uh, great uh, innovator in, the, in that whole scene right now, too. So yeah. that must be a privilege. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we'll watch for that. For our audience, uh, as usual, we'll leave you with this. Empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.